0: Hello, this is Jen of These Dramatic Days, and today I'm going to be doing a different kind of show. I'm going to be doing a year in review. So basically I'm going to be talking about every single drama that I watched in 2023. And honestly, I did try to do some deep dives on some of these dramas, but I think life just got the best of me and I never ended up releasing the episodes on these dramas. So I think doing a year in review will allow me to talk about each of the dramas, especially the ones that I had a lot of things to talk about. So before I begin, I'm just going to talk a little bit about how many dramas I watched in 2023. So I watched a total of 22 Korean dramas, which might sound like a lot to some people, but it also may sound surprisingly little to some people. I guess it all depends on your lifestyle. I love watching TV, but I also have a very active social life. So it was a little bit of a juggle at times. And to make it worse, I also like watching dramas from other countries. So I also watched three Japanese dramas and also one Taiwanese drama which is really surprising because I normally watch a lot of Taiwanese dramas but I think this year there hasn't been a lot going on with a lot of my favorite Taiwanese actors and so I haven't felt as compelled to watch dramas. So I thought about how I should group these dramas and I think I'll start out with the dramas that overlapped from 2022 to 2023 which meant that they would have showed earlier in the year. Then I'm going to talk about all the dramas that were sort of like standalone series. Then I'm going to talk about all the dramas that were season two dramas. And then I want to talk about some of the older series that I finally got the chance to catch up on this year. So the normal warnings apply. just want to say that I will be talking about certain events in dramas. So if you're sensitive to spoilers, it's probably best to go watch the drama first before you listen to this episode. Or maybe you might want to skip certain dramas. Because while I try really hard not spoil anything i may talk about certain things that you might consider a lead up to a spoiler or something that gives away something that you didn't want to find out so Best to watch the drama first. I think it's also a good time to add a trigger warning because of course certain dramas I watched this year featured high levels of violence, abuse, or suicide. And so if these things affect you negatively, please feel free to skip this episode. Also, if these issues do hit close to home and you need support or you need help, I'll include some numbers to lifelines in the description of this episode. So please look for them there. So the first drama I remember watching in 2023 was actually the last couple of episodes of Alchemy of Souls season two and I haven't grouped this with the other season two series because it just felt like it was a continuation of really the same storyline except they decided to put a split in between 20 episodes and 10 episodes so I don't know if I really consider that a second season. The other thing is that all the other second seasons I'm talking about happened clearly in 2023 so I'm going to talk about this first as a storyline that carried over from mainly last year to this year. So Alchemy of Souls season two starred Lee Jae-wook, who is one of my favorite actors, like seriously, one of my all time favorite actors. I mean, the guy picks really good projects. He's a really strong actor and has done very diverse roles. And, you know, he's very charming. He's very easy on the eyes. And so it's a good combination for an actor. And of course, starring opposite him was the new actress, Ko Yoon Jung. I really liked her in Alchemy of Souls and I know she won over the hearts of a lot of people as well because she's been playing main lead after main lead this year and I don't think she's ever going back to being like a side character in a drama ever again. In fact, I'll be talking about her two other dramas that I watched this year later on in the episode. But getting back to Alchemy of Souls season two, the storyline was a historical fantasy romance so it was an interesting mix of ideas. Actually, I'd also say that it was a comedy as well because even though it was a fantasy, it didn't really take itself too seriously. There were a lot of jokes and really like punny or slapsticky scenes. And I don't know if that's particularly my style of humor, but once in a while they would hit the same style as myself. And I would find it really funny. For example, in the series, there's this charm that the two main lovers have. It sort of connects the two lovers emotionally or through their energy. Anyway, one of the charms gets taken by the king, who is this like very pompousy character. Character, and then he starts feeling drawn to the male lead like he wants to find him no matter what and he doesn't realize it's because of the charm but they just create the scene as if it's two lovers reuniting and so that I found really funny when I was watching the series I think it was down to the chemistry of the two actors as well because both Lee Jae-wook and Shin Sen-ho have a really good bromance in real life so I think they had fun hamming it up on screen and you could really tell when you were watching them act it out the wow. I also thought Lee Jae-wook had really good chemistry with his romantic interest Ko Yun-jung and I think both of them look quite pretty on screen so I was pretty happy with the pairing as well and off screen they were just really cute because they seem to be quite compatible they're similar ages and so I think a lot of the time it was just as cute watching them in the behind the scenes as it was watching both their characters get together on screen. But this might be a controversial topic because if you watched this drama live you will remember the fierce fierce fan wars that happened and this was mainly due to the fact that in alchemy of souls season one they cast the very famous actress jung so min to be the lead female character and then because the magic in the story involves body swapping and therefore the characters sort of like changing their look and their identities they ended up casting a newer actress called ko yun jung to be the second version of that very same character. Unfortunately, some Jung fans took this to be a huge slight towards their favorite actress. Like they acted like she had been cut out from the drama and kicked to the curb. But I don't think they realized that actually initially she wasn't meant to play that role. It was meant to go to another new actress called Park Hae-san and she even began shooting with Lee Jae-wook early in the project. But then something happened. Like some media outlets said that she... She felt too much pressure and pulled out of the role. Some media outlets said that actually she wasn't experienced enough and it sort of angered the director or something like that. But actually, I think what sounds the most plausible of all the rumors that I heard was that the writers of the drama, who are quite established, probably wanted an actress who would pull up the viewership for the drama. Unfortunately, this had consequences down the line because by hiring Jung So Min, all her fans really wanted to see her throughout the entire run of the drama and so they were very upset when she was replaced which I'm pretty sure wouldn't have been such a big deal if they had just kept the new actress in that role assuming that she didn't want to leave of her own accord and unfortunately that's what put me off season one of alchemy of souls because a portion of the fans actually turned quite nasty like I felt like there was a lot of online bullying of people who were happy to have a change over and to see a new actress I also thought that that they were pretty mean to the new actress who happened to be Ko Yun-jung. Like people would actually post really nasty comments on her Instagram and they would say really nasty things about her online. Anyway, I just found the whole thing distasteful and I just thought if Jung Min could actually see what those fans were writing, she would be really horrified about their behavior. She wouldn't be like, oh, thanks guys for defending me. She would be like, why are you being such terrible people? I don't know if those fans realized but what they were doing was Actually, backfiring on someone that they really loved, and I can't remember who it was in like the Chinese entertainment, but there was actually a actor who got cancelled completely by the industry because his fans were so toxic. Anyway, I feel like I've gone on a bit of a tangent, but I think it was important to mention all the drama that surrounded this K drama because it took away a little bit from the viewing experience while it was live. All the fan wars just made everything really stressful. But now that that's all over, I would highly recommend watching Alchemy of Souls. I think that it's a fun watch and even if you're not into some of those genres or you might think that it's a little bit weird at first, I feel like the story pulls together pretty nicely and I enjoyed the acting from all the actors, like it's a pretty good cast and I don't think you'd be disappointed in the K-drama at all. So another drama that aired on the cusp of last year and the start of this year was there's a drama called Unlock the Boss, and the reason I watched that was because of the main male lead who was Chae Jong Help. I think a lot of people have just been introduced to his charms having watched Castaway Diva, where he's also the main male lead in that drama. And I will talk about Castaway Diva later on in this episode, but getting back to Unlock the Boss, Chae Jong Help's character has a pretty cute love story with So and Su's character in the drama. And he also has a funny like boss and employee type relationship with Park Sung Wong's character. And if you don't know who that actor is, he is the main bad guy in a drama called Bloodhounds, which I'm going to talk about later on in this episode as well. But I mean, this actor pretty much plays a villain all the time. He's often like a gangster or a serial killer. So it was really surprising to actually see him as kind of a good character, even though he's a little bit cold in this storyline. Admittedly, I wasn't really sure I would enjoy enjoy this drama when I first heard about the storyline. I was pretty much just watching it as a loyal fan of Chae Jong-Help and because I was also curious as I knew that the drama was based off a webtoon but the more I watched of the drama the more intrigued I got and so it actually turned out to be one of the dramas I surprisingly enjoyed this year. The storyline is a little bit weird. It's about a CEO of a tech company whose soul gets transferred into his phone and this happens when he gets murdered by someone one night but since his soul is still existing on the phone and it seems to have a consciousness he employs someone to look into this which is Chae Jong-ho's character and along with the CEO's secretary and bodyguard which is So and Su's character they look into the mystery of his death and try to find out who the culprit was. I would say this drama was mostly mystery and sci-fi and you know a little bit of romance here and there. I wouldn't say it was a drama. That was like deeply sci fi or technological, but it does talk about AI and all the AI possibilities. And there's a big twist at the end of the drama, and I won't reveal what it is, but I mean, it pretty much speaks to that sort of sci fi idea of technology really understanding and either helping or hindering humans. And while I don't think this drama was some sort of masterpiece that you necessarily need to watch in your life, I did find it really fun and entertaining. I got pretty hooked into the Mystery as well as the plot twist in the end. I don't know if it's like the best plot twist, but it was interesting and I thought it was a little bit unique to that whole sci-fi storyline it had. And I would definitely recommend it to anyone who wants to check out Chae Jong Hop's past works. So now moving on to the next drama that I watched in 2023, I would like to talk about Crash Course in Romance, and I think that was a pretty decent drama. I don't know if I felt particularly attached to the main couple but I was interested in the topic of the drama itself which was cram schools in Korea and pretty much all the crazy things that parents would do to make sure that their kids were making the top of their class and getting into the best cram schools and then getting the best tutors to help them get into the best universities. It's quite a tiring process and I really liked watching like all the mothers group in that drama who were like really catty and like you know doing whatever it took to help their kids get into the best educational institutions. I just found it really amazing that parents would spend their time lining up at after school tuition centers as a placeholder for their child so that their child would have like the best seat when it came to sitting down and studying in the after school centers. Because the drama is mainly a romance genre drama, I can't really ignore the fact that it's actually focused on the romance between the really famous tutor and one of the parents of a really bright child who is pretty much a scholarship kid. Those characters were played by Jung Kyung-ho and Chon Do-yeon. So both those actors are veteran actors in the industry, and so I wasn't surprised that the acting was very good. I just don't think I talked to the couple because their characters were so cliched in many ways. Like, it was pretty much a storyline about a guy who was the best at his profession across Korea, who was pretty famous and had a lot of money and was a little bit cold at times or a bit aloof. And he pretty much falls for a woman who is very pure, who is very warm and has a really strong working class spirit. And then of course she helps him to get over his traumas. So this is a formula that has happened for many years in Korean dramas. So I don't think I felt that it was very original or compelling in any unique way. I guess. I think maybe another reason also that I didn't find this couple as enticing for me to watch was that they got quite like sappy once they got together. Whereas for me, I prefer it when the characters are a little bit more independent, but there is like romantic tension pulling them together. So would I recommend Crash Course in Romance to other K-drama fans? I would say it's a pretty decent romance, and it is a drama that is all the usual things like very heartwarming and, you know has a bit of a complicated relationship between the two main leads which eventually turns into love. So if you kind of like those tropes I think you'd enjoy it. And I mean there's also another love story that kind of goes on in this drama which is the story of the daughter or the niece and she has two boys who are interested in her although she's not really sure if she's interested in either of them. One is her best friend who hasn't really made his feelings very clear but it's obvious that he likes her. And then the other is a bad boy at school who isn't very good at school, but he really admires her and he makes that very clear. And I think I enjoyed this storyline mainly because it wasn't as mushy as the main romantic storyline. If you are a person who's into romance, there's like two romantic storylines going on in this drama. But moving on, I also watched a series called Call It Love, and this series starred Lee Seung-kyung. And opposite her as her love interest in the series was Kim Young-kwang. And I classify this story as a moody revenge drama meets mellow drama love story. The premise of the story is after a girl whose evil stepmother who broke up the marriage of her parents inherits the family home, she decides to get revenge on her. And she decides to do this by getting a job in the company started by the son of the stepmother. So I guess technically her stepbrother, although she never really had anything to do with this guy and she decides she's going to destroy his company and his life. The problem is she starts to realize that he's actually a really decent person who's nothing like his mom and in fact she starts to fall in love with him which causes all sorts of problems. So I thought this drama had really good acting. Both the lead actors were very convincing in their roles and I've seen them play very happy-go-lucky characters before previously. Lee Sung Kyung is pretty much well known for weightlifting. Fairy, one of my favorite dramas, and in that drama she's just very like high-spirited and someone who is full of life. So it was really great to see her take on a very different role and she was very convincing in it. You could really believe that she was a person who was spiraling out of control due to all those emotions bottling up inside of her. And the same goes for Kim Young-kwang. I felt like his role was really a character that was very dead on the inside, like, someone who's extremely introverted, but who's also lost a lot of hope in his life and just goes through all the motions. And I felt like he was very convincing in playing that role. And so I definitely couldn't fault the acting in this series. Again, it's kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of romances didn't speak to me deeply this year. And for this drama, I don't think there's actually anything wrong with the romance. I suppose it's just very melodramatic, which isn't a style I personally love. But I did think that the two actors had really good chemistry. And that intensity of their love in the very difficult situation that they faced was very well portrayed on screen. I guess at this point, you might be wondering why did you watch a melodrama if you're not really into melodramas? Well, I guess part of it was because I was interested in Lee Sung Kyung's performance, and the other part of it was there was also this like side storyline involving the best friend of Lee Sung Kyung's character, and he also happens to be friends with both her siblings as well. In the storyline, so he's pretty much a family friend. And that character was played by an actor called Sung Jun. If you've been watching K-dramas since like the early 2000s, I don't know if you remember Sung Jun, but you totally should because this guy has the nicest sounding voice, I swear. I also feel like he's one of those people who's really good with dry humour. He's just got the right timing and expression and everything. Anyway, this guy is totally one of my favourites, but I've said this about two or three other actors in this episode already. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Anyway, Sung Joon used to be like second lead and he sort of made his way up to first lead. I believe he was the main lead in a drama called Madame Antoine the Love Therapist or something like that. But then he went off to the military and I don't know if he's quite made it back to first lead status, but I was really happy to see him in this drama. And his role is pretty significant. He has like the secondary love story with the sister in the drama. So I guess in conclusion even though I'm not into melodramas I'm clearly into Sung Jun, and I watched this drama for him. Hopefully he'll be in more things in 2024. Moving on to another drama I watched this year though I want to talk about The Good Bad Mother and this drama was shown on Netflix so it probably had a wider reach and a lot of you might have watched it as well when it aired. It starred the veteran actress Rami Ran and also starred the very famous actor Lee Do-hun, and he had a love interest in this series played by Ahn and Jin. And like the drama I was talking about before, this drama also has like a revenge kind of plot line, and it also is quite melodramatic. And so once again, it wasn't exactly an easy watch. Like, it was a drama that had really good acting, had an interesting story concept, but sometimes I felt like I was gripping the edge of my seat because it just felt so intense and I think part of that was because the mother in this story is someone who lives a very hard life and so when it comes to raising her son she pretty much tiger parents him to the extreme and I think this is triggering for a lot of Asians who grow up in Western countries because often that is the case your parents have a really hard life they want a better life for you and so they raise you in a very strict and restricting way way. And in this series, the mother does it in a way that is just so borderline abusive that at times I was like, she is a really terrible mother. Like, I don't know if this kid should still be living with her. But later on, you find out additional information and it sort of colors like your understanding of her a bit better as a person and I think this was the winning point of this series because there was actually a lot of layers and in trying to understand the main character in the good bad mother you have to really peel away at all the different layers and you can see that she is both good at times and bad at times sometimes she has the right idea or intentions other times she's wrong and I think it really shows what it means to be a human. When I was watching this series it also really made me reflect on my own parents and my own relationship with my parents not that i have a particularly bad relationship with them in fact we get along quite well but i think it reminded me to also think about all the things that my parents had been through in raising us and it just reminded me to be grateful for everything that they had done so all three of the main actors in this series were very good at acting i thought that rami ran was particularly impressive with her acting of a very polarizing character. One minute you really dislike her because you think how could a mother act this way while the next minute you're like oh wow her life is so bitter and she's actually done a lot to just try to survive and to help her child achieve a really good life. So I think it was a very complicated character to play and she was very good at bringing out the different emotions in the audience. I also thought that Lee Do-hun did really well in this role, it must have been challenging at times because the character is an adult who has lost his memory and is therefore acting like a child. And so I think it involved doing quite a few embarrassing things like throwing a tantrum and being super clingy to his mother. So I think he really showed his acting range in taking on a role like this. I also thought that him and Anand Jin had really good chemistry on screen and that provided a really nice sweet balance to everything else that was a little bit harder to watch in the series. I think the storyline with the gangsters and the corrupt prosecutor also really added to the suspense of this series and it really made me want to complete the series so that I could see justice being served because a lot of unfair things happen in this drama. But I'm going to move on now to talk about a more lighthearted series that I watched in 2023 and that is Delivery Man. This was a short series, I think it only had 12 episodes and each episode was shorter than your average K-drama episode. The story centers around a young man who has to drive taxis to make ends meet for him and his grandmother. And of course, one day he finds a haunted phone in the back of his taxi, which leads him to be haunted by a female ghost who has no memories of how she died. And so he makes it his job to try to solve the mystery of how she passed away because he wants her to move on to the next life and find peace. But he also doesn't want to be haunted by a ghost all the time. The other fun thing in this drama is that when he finds the haunted phone it actually allows him to see ghosts and so his taxi ends up being a ghost taxi because the ghosts are happy that he can see them and they all want a ride but this means he loses his human customers who are spooked out by the weird vibes in his cab and so that's another reason why he wants to help get rid of the ghost that is haunting him but of course she's a pretty cute ghost and so they end up liking each other and that's where the story starts to get a little bit complicated because what happens when a ghost and a human like each other and one of them is supposed to move on. So the actors in this series were Yoon Chan-young who is one of the leads from All of Us Are Dead and he had really good chemistry with his co-star Mina. I feel like Minna's character was very fun and playful and she was very good at being a bit of a tease and I always like Yoon Chan-young. I think there's something very genuine and earnest about his acting and so it makes him quite easy to like. I have to say I really enjoyed this drama for several reasons. I think one of those reasons was that it was episodic and this is somewhat common for ghost stories because I think most of the time they want to show that if there is one ghost floating around there's probably more and so it helps to create a suspension of disbelief or it helps to make like the world of ghosts believable. Another reason ghost stories are episodic is that it's often an exploration of different human experiences and lives because the idea is that most people believe that ghosts remain on this earth because they have unfinished business and so i think ghost dramas often focus on the many different reasons why someone would linger behind some people have deep-seated grudges and terrible stories of injustice and so they want to get revenge while other people are concerned about a child or a pet or something and so they feel like they need to find someone to be able to look after the people or things they care about before they can move on. And so these stories are often emotionally charged and they often look at different life situations. And that's why I think they're touching and interesting to watch. But like I said before, I also think that Delivery Man was lighthearted and it was funny, it had a cute romance. And so I think it really balanced the more emotional stories with something that was a bit more fluffy and fun as well. And so it was a good mixture of things. And also, I thought the storyline was woven together pretty well. There were no real draggy episodes, and I think that's pretty normal for a series with 12 episodes as well because they don't have the time to add additional weird subplots that are unnecessary. So, the final thing I want to say about Delivery Man was that I thought the ending was done well, there were no bad loose ends, and it was just enjoyable as a short series on the whole. I feel like the ending was tied up really neatly. And everything that you wanted to happen happened. And I have to say, I don't think open endings are a bad thing, but I think it's really hard for people to do them well. So, if it's easier for people to tie up all the endings neatly, I prefer that because I would rather a good ending than one that is trying to be meaningful but misses the mark. And I'm going to take a little break here just to say that I'm sorry if there's any background noise because I recorded the first half of this podcast like at night, so it was. Really, really quiet, but now it's daytime and I can hear cars driving past. So, I hope you can't hear it in this podcast episode. I'll try to reduce the sounds, but you know, it's a little bit tricky. So, the next series I'm going to talk about also has something to do with delivery men, but the drama is very different in concept and name. So, the title of the drama was Black Knight, and it was an environmental dystopian series, which I thought was quite interesting. I feel like these are still unique, but have also become a little bit more common in recent years because there's always a question of what will happen if we continue to create a lot of pollution. I have to say I think this genre of K-dramas is important because it does remind everyone that we probably need to do a bit more to look after our world if we don't want to end up in a situation like the ones that we're seeing in these types of dramas. But I guess I shouldn't go off topic because there's a lot of dramas I still need to talk about. So going back to the plot of Black Knight, It is set in a dystopian future where the world's air pollution has gotten so bad that everyone lives sort of indoors or in environments with very filtered air and very limited air supply. And so it's important for a certain group of people to navigate the wastelands and make deliveries. And these people are known as delivery men. And funnily enough, delivery men seem to have more privileges and freedoms because it's actually not easy being a delivery person, at least apparently not in post-apocalyptic Korea and of course because it's a dystopian story and a Korean drama there are definitely class divides especially when you're living in a world with limited resources and so there's people who live out in the wastelands and people who live in very good protected housing with all the supplies that they could ever want and of course the crux of the story has something to do with this class divide because the story is focused on a delivery man called 5-8 who is pretty legendary as a delivery person everyone really respects him but of course he is in some ways very rogue and questioning the system of the world that they live in which has its cracks and corruptions due to how politicians are running it. Things start to ramp up when he encounters a kid from the wastelands who wants to try out to become a delivery man and he ends up helping him and I want to say that I loved the idea of this drama but I was a little bit disappointed with how it played out mainly because I felt that it was too short and I know that I often say that short dramas are better but I think there's a limit to that as well like if you're doing a grand scale dystopian series probably don't make it six episodes like I think the sweet spot is probably between 10 to 13 episodes this one had six episodes which made it really hard for it to give any substantial plot twist or any meaningful development to the characters especially when there were lots of little subplots and like intricacies of the world being explained. And don't get me wrong, I was super impressed by this drama in many ways. I thought that the world building was amazing. I always liked seeing how different people imagine what a dystopian future would be, and I loved the concept of the delivery men, but my problem was that it just didn't have enough like personal development for the characters, and the storyline seemed very stunted, like it was just pretty obvious that the bad guy was the bad guy, it wasn't very riveting in terms of the actual K-drama storyline, which is a bit of a shame because it was a drama that was shown on Netflix and it also had a bunch of A-lister actors attached to it, notably Kim Woo-bin. It sort of marks his return as an actor after taking a big break due to having cancer treatment. Also attached to this role was the actress Esom and she would have starred in the second season of Taxi Driver as well if it hadn't been for this project but unfortunately I don't think this project did well although I don't think she really lost much by not being in Taxi Driver 2 as well because I don't think it was a particularly good season 2 but I'll talk about that a little bit later when I get to the sequel part of this podcast. So now I move on to talk briefly about one of the dramas that I watched in 23 that had the most disappointing ending that I have seen in a long time and that. That is Heartbeats. So the reason I'm not going to do a deep dive on this drama is because I actually made an entire episode dedicated to Heartbeats because the ending infuriated me so much that I had to talk about it. And I definitely talk about all the things I love about that drama as well, but I do highlight all the disappointments that I felt and I do talk about all the potential that they wasted with this drama. In short, the series is about a vampire who wants to be human and He almost makes it to becoming a human but something goes wrong one day before it happens and then he's stuck in a weird half human half vampire hybrid state. His fate of course is tied with a human girl who is the one who destroyed his chance of becoming a human. The story navigates their journey to understanding each other and falling in love and running a hotel together and every time I think about this drama I feel like so many elements could have been done better. It had such a good premise. I really love vampire stories. I think that they can be really fun and camp. There's just so much you can play around with in using vampire folklore. I also thought the romance was pretty decent in this and the two leading actors for this series were Octae and Won Ji An. They had such a gentle and heartfelt romance between their characters that I felt like the drama ripped my heart apart when they did what they did with the ending. Would I recommend this series? to other people? Well, it's hard to say because I do like things about this drama. I think that it has interesting vampires and also a lot of interesting world building. I really liked the cute romance between the two characters, but I would really have to warn people about the ending and I would really hesitate to recommend it based on the ending alone. If you've watched Heartbeat and you want to dissect all the things that were wrong with it, feel free to listen to that episode. Otherwise, if you're curious, Curious about the ending, that episode is also good to listen to. So moving on to one of my favorite dramas in 2023, I am talking, of course, about Bloodhounds. I do want to say that even though this is one of the dramas that I felt was one of the better ones in the year 2023, I don't think it was a great drama year for me. And so even with some of my favorites, there were things that I wish could have been changed. And on the list of things that I wish could have been changed is the ending of Bloodhounds. So I felt like the ending for this drama was a bit lackluster, but I still enjoyed the rush that it gave me throughout the series, especially. When- when I started watching it, it felt really gritty and intense. And I have to admit, I really like a good gangster series. And this fell into that category for sure. And also when there's two male leads, I like it when they create a good bromance because that makes the series fun. Like it gives it a bit of humor to offset the violence of the series. And Bloodhounds was really good at doing that. I tell you the bromance game was real strong in the series. Like there's nothing like two guys working out as boxers and then telling each other they can't can't live without each other that spells out hardcore bromance. So this story is really centered around an aspiring boxer who ends up getting tangled with loan sharks because his mother gets conned when she agrees to take on a loan. And of course she borrows from these gangsters who have a huge scheme to con people, especially older people, after the pandemic. She has no way to pay back that money and of course they come and harass her. But her son defends her and beats up all the gangsters that try to take money from them. However, he's still no match for the head gangster who is played by Park Sang-wung, who I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Unlock the Boss. He plays a real mean and scary gangster in this series. His character not only messes with older people and steals money from them, he also ends up harassing and blackmailing a young rich CEO. And he plans to take over the CEO's company through blackmailing him. Oh, that's right. I almost forgot. He also has this like right-hand man who's like a real big dude who no one can take down. And so that's why it's really hard for the main boxer to take him on. However, luckily for him, he did meet a friend right before all this started. Like he was up against this guy in the boxing rink and then he won the match and this guy decided to befriend him because he really respected the way that he acted as a boxer and then they just really hit it off. And so this guy ends up being his best friend and his right-hand man throughout the entire ordeal of dealing with this gangster. And it's through the connection of this friend that he ends up meeting a man who used to be a Lone Shark, but is now someone who's changed his ways and is using his money for good. And as is the way in a lot of Korean dramas, this guy is super loaded from his past days of crime, but he needs someone to help protect his adopted child, I guess, who is played by Kim se ron His nemesis happens to be Park Sung-wung's character, who he happened to train a long time ago, but also happened to backstab him. And when I say backstab, he literally backstabbed him, as in he beat him up and threw him out of a... building and left him becoming a paraplegic. Yeah, I'm pretty sure in a scene it implies that his back or his spine was broken. I don't know. It's real painful. But whatever happened to him, it's implied that he is bound to a wheelchair for the rest of his existence. Anyway, to sum up, all of them team together to try and take down Park San-wung's character. I'm sorry I'm not using character names in this very long podcast because there's just too many characters and I feel like everyone would get very confused. So I'm just going to use the actor's name in case you haven't realized, that's what I've been doing. And so as you can tell, this series is not for the faint of heart, it is quite violent. And if you're not someone who likes gangster films or fighting films, this one probably isn't for you. But if you do, it is a fun drama, but it is ultra violent. So I guess you have to prepare for that. I think there were times where I literally shoved a cushion in front of my face because I was like, I can't watch this scene, it's too much. But I don't think I've talked about who the main actors were, so the main character was played by Wu Do Huan and the second lead like his best friend was played by Lee Sang Yi. I felt like both of them brought a lot of energy to the action scenes and the fighting scenes. I felt like they had really good chemistry as a pair and I know that people often say that in terms of romantic pairings but in this drama it wasn't a romance but it was like a deep friendship. I think they were really good at bringing out the softer side of a male friendship and they really worked in sync together in the way they talked and in the way that they would do the on-screen action scenes. I have to give credit to Park Sun Wong for being a really scary and hateable looking character. I think he seems a little bit like a mix between like an arrogant and really cold-hearted looking uncle. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or an insult. I guess it's a compliment for a villain. One other person I wanted to talk about in this drama was Kim Se-ron. So if you don't know much about her, she's a really famous child actor. In fact, the first thing she starred in would, which sort of made her really famous, was a super violent film. The film was called Nowhere Man. And if you really like Bloodhounds or you like the idea of watching Bloodhounds, I would highly recommend Nowhere Man because uh, it's about a child that's kidnapped by organ harvesters and then is rescued by her neighbor who happens to be an ex-Secret Service type person played by Won Bin. But anyway, going back to Bloodhounds, Kim Se-Ron was the child actress in that and she became really famous. But recently, was caught in a huge scandal where she was drink driving and caused a serious accident on the road, which could have killed people, but luckily did not. However, she did crash into several structures and I think she also caused a power outage and she had enough alcohol in her bloodstream to have had her license revoked in Korea. Like I think she had 0.2, which is quite a lot. She did apologize and own up for this behavior. But then on social media, she posted pictures of her working in a cafe saying, that she was having financial troubles but then it was discovered that she was still drinking and playing poker and also the cafe that she was working at said she actually wasn't working there so this was back in 2022 and it left a lasting impression on people a lot of people didn't want to see her on screen and so when it came to bloodhounds it impacted the storyline i think the director decided they couldn't recast her otherwise it would impact the whole of the drama but they left her in and they sort of took her character out of the ending of Bloodhounds. I believe the story would have been much better if this scandal hadn't had happened but because it did I think it changed a significant part of the ending of Bloodhounds like her character disappears and never reappears not even for a moment at the ending and it's quite sad because it would have made sense just to give her character some closure and so this is one of the main problems I had with the ending I think it was that hasty way of tying up what happened to her character. But aside from the issue with Kim Se-Ron, I think that there were still many lackluster elements of the ending. I think that it wasn't strong enough, like the outcome with the two main characters and the bad guy. I feel like there was, you know, the ultimate fight, but at the end it just sort of fizzled out. I also didn't agree with the ending for the young rich CEO. I thought he was a bit of a useless character and what he got in the end was like, too much for him. I feel like that should have gone... to the main two characters. I also don't know how I felt about the ending with the main character's mom, but I guess it was happy. It was just a little bit anticlimactic, that's all. And so while this isn't a terrible ending, it really was very anticlimactic for the entire drama. Would I recommend Bloodhounds? Absolutely, but I do think that the ending's not super great, and so if anyone watches it and has a few complaints about the ending, feel free to chat to me on social media, because I will totally be there listening to you and agreeing. But I do think some people liked the ending, so I don't think it's actually terrible, it's just not as great as the rest of the series, if that makes sense. So moving on to a drama that I have strong feelings for, though not necessarily positive feelings for, is the drama called A Time Called You. And if you know anything about this drama, you should know that it is a remake of one of my all-time favorite Taiwanese dramas called Someday or One Day. So I really, really, really love Someday or One Day and I don't think I'm the only one at all. I would say it's the best drama to have come out of Taiwan and it's definitely on the list of top 10 dramas I've seen in my life, regardless of country categories. And I'm not the only one who feels that way. So, a lot of people loved this drama not only in Taiwan but across all of Asia, particularly in Korea. It was so popular in Korea that they actually managed to have it show on Netflix, which hasn't happened anywhere else in the world. And the stars even flew from Taiwan to Korea to do fan meets there. So, I think Someday or One Day was really successful because it was such a heartfelt drama. It has a beautiful romance that cuts across time and space, and I mean that literally because it is a time travel drama. But more than that, it's also a drama that examines what it means to be a friend what it means to have family it's a drama that's set in 1998 and so it brings back those nostalgic vibes as well and they were really good at showing that time period and being true to it. So when they announced they were going to do a remake of Someday or One Day in Korea, I think a lot of people were very unhappy to hear this because remakes generally do not do well in portraying the sentiments of the original series. And along with this, there were always going to be a lot of challenges converting the cultural elements, especially in this drama, which depended very heavily on a Taiwanese song that was popular in the 90s a song called Last Dance by a well-known rock singer called Wu Bai. So in many ways, I kind of feel sorry for A Time Called You because it was always going to be a hard battle to win. In many ways, I felt sorry for A Time Called You because it was always going to be a hard battle to win. There were always going to be things that they probably couldn't do from the original due to changes in culture. And there was always going to be a strong fan base that was going to be critical of whatever happened in the drama. I tried not to be critical while I watched it and I wanted to separate the two series. But I think one of the main problems with A Time Called You is that it was quite mechanical. Like it followed the original series to a T. But that seemed quite odd because they weren't able to replicate like the emotional aspects of the drama. I don't think the actors were as connected as the original actors were. And for some weird reason, I don't think they were very good at portraying the nostalgia element. I don't know why, because there's plenty of Korean dramas that are set in different time periods. Like if you think of Reply 1988, or any of the Reply series, or even 2521, those dramas were true to specific time periods. But I think A Time Called You tried to replicate Korea in the 90s but they didn't do it very well. And a lot of Korean fans even said, hey, that's not what life was like in the 90s in Korea. So for me personally, I guess A Time Called You was really strange as a viewing experience because it was watching a story that I really liked and seeing it play out scene for scene, but sort of missing the heart and soul that, I really loved about the original series. I do have to say I made an entire podcast episode when I was watching A Time Called You that outlined all my disappointments and thoughts about the series, but I didn't release it at the time because I just got busy and never finished it. But I'll probably release it as some sort of throwback episode or maybe around the anniversary time of Someday or One Day. But I do want to point out some things that I thought were nice about A Time Called You. So I do think it was shot very beautifully. Koreans have a way of making things look very dreamy and aesthetic. And so, of course, the cinematography was pretty good. I also think the actors tried really hard to portray the characters. There must have been a lot of pressure because as I mentioned before, the series was already popular in Korea. And Cho Yo Bin and Ahn Hyo Sop, who were the two actors cast in the lead roles, I think they worked pretty hard to try to portray the emotions. And I think maybe if you hadn't watched the original, maybe you would watch this and be like they were okay they probably don't have the best chemistry out of all the dramas I've seen and maybe it'd be easier to buy into that relationship whereas for me and a lot of other fans of Someday or One Day or people who have seen the original it's a little harder to let go of the amazing chemistry that the original couple had and so I think that's why this drama felt so lacking in some ways but to be fair I do think it's hard to compete with the chemistry of Taiwanese actors what I really love about Taiwanese dramas is that the actors are not afraid to actually really get into each other's spaces and it's not just for fan service it's because they genuinely like each other and I think it's a small industry so people just get closer together. So in all honesty I'd probably not be recommending A Time Called You. I would recommend people to watch the original which would be someday or one day but I guess if someone was really hellbent on watching A Time Called You I would tell them it's probably a fine enough drama but I definitely not say it was amazing or life-changing in any way. So now I'm going to move on to another drama which I watched and I think this one was interesting in that it made me think a lot about fantasy but again it wasn't a romance that really spoke to me and what I mean by that is not that I dislike the pairing or anything like that it just means that I suppose it's rather forgettable for me like I'll watch the drama enjoy the good bits and then sort of get over it. I wouldn't really think much about this pairing again, I suppose. It's not like those dramas where I find the pairing to be perfect, I really enjoy the romantic aspect of that couple, and I'm following them both on Instagram, hoping that they'll interact with each other or something like that. You know, like borderline shipping, although I hate that sort of word. I think I've explained about it in a past episode, probably one of the Extraordinary Attorney Wu Yang Wu episodes, where I talk about how shipping is sometimes really seen as very polarizing and I just enjoy it when the actors have good chemistry and our friends offset that's my idea of shipping sorry I've totally gone on a tangent and not realized it so the drama I'm actually talking about is Destined With You and whilst I was interested in this drama initially for the two main actors I'm not sure that I enjoyed their characters romance that much I think it is quite a mushy romance so if you do enjoy that style this one's probably for you for me I think this romance was very sweet but also they got together quite early on and I don't know if I felt like there was enough reasons that they fell in love and so it didn't quite hit me deep in the heart. But I do know a bunch of people who really enjoyed it so it's definitely a personal taste thing and not to say that this drama is bad. With that said I do think some of the storytelling was a little bit lacking but I should probably go into the plot before I talk about that. The story follows a woman who's. A civil servant, and she's not very good at things, seemingly a little bit clumsy, and also not well liked by her colleagues. She has a crush on one of the lawyers at work, but she ends up getting entangled with another lawyer who is good looking and from a good family but is cursed. The lawyer discovers that this civil servant can free him of a curse that he's been put under from a past life, and so he brings a book of spells that he has in his possession to her and tells her that she needs to figure out how to use it. And so that's how they end up being entangled in each other's lives. I'd say this drama was a combination of fantasy, romance, and oddly enough, an office drama because a lot of it takes place in the office where they both work. It's also one of those storylines with the psycho killer, so I would say there's a bit of crime, although I don't know if you want to say that's a genre because it's pretty much in every second Korean drama. So this story is a weird mix of things to begin with, but my main problem would have to be with the fantasy storyline. This is one of the stories where two characters are linked by their past lives and this is a trope that has been happening recently more often than not. I for one blame Goblin for this trope because I think they popularized the concept of two characters being fated to meet again because their past lives were so painful. Technically I don't mind the past lives element if it's woven smoothly into the story but with this drama it really wasn't. Like it was very strange there was no real reason why they would start remembering their past lives and so all of a sudden she would have a dream about her past life and then she would just know it was her or all of a sudden they would just start thinking about it and so I didn't really think it was very consistent it just didn't make sense for them to suddenly remember their past lives without a real trigger if you know what I mean I also thought that the way the main character was cursed was a little bit weird there was not really an explanation at first because he gets felt up by a a red bloody hand and it kind of reminded me of the hand from Adam's Family. What was that called? Was it called It? Well, I think it was called It. Basically covered in blood. I just thought it was a little bit weird because they probably could have had a cooler curse or something that just made a little bit more sense rather than a hand popping out of nowhere with no body. So this leads me to talking about fantasy and magic in this drama. The interesting thing about this drama was that there's no clear indication where whether or not the magic actually works in this world because even though the main character is said to have been like a shaman or a witch in her past life, in the current life she's asked to perform magic but there's never any indication that it's a 100% the magic that created whatever impact that happened. For example she creates a love potion which she had planned to use on the second lead but it ends up being taken by the first lead and then he thinks he's in love with her. He blames on the love potion, but the second lead also starts to like her and he never takes the potion. In most of the K-dramas where the magic is meant to happen, you can really tell because they'll do some sort of like sequence where they realize that whatever's happened is quite impossible, but it's actually happened. They'll show like shiny special effects or or they'll question other people around them and the other people will tell them, yes, this thing has happened. This drama portrayed magic in a way that is very reflective of real life it's like when you say a prayer to a god or make a wish in a wishing well you're not actually sure if your prayers or your wishes will be answered but you hope they will be and sometimes coincidentally they are this drama seemed to play with the realistic idea that magic could be fate it could be chance it could be coincidence it could really be anything at some point they use science to explain one of the magic elements in the drama and it does sound realistic and the characters believe that in a way I found this to be really refreshing and interesting, and I liked the way that they explored some of that concept, but I kind of wish they had put slight parameters around it. Like, for example, I wish some of the characters had said some of this stuff that I'm talking about, like how magic pretty much might just be luck or chance or whatever you want it to be. It may not be necessarily real, or it might be something to do with faith. I feel like without them actually explicitly talking about how not concrete, the magic was, it became really confusing for anyone who was watching. I suppose it's just weird because the first half of the drama really focuses on the fact that she's supposed to have been a shaman in her past life and there's this spell book. So not acknowledging the magic or lack of magic was really strange. So I just want to talk a little bit about the main actors and their characters before I move on. The main actress was Cho Bora and unfortunately I think in this drama she had to play a bit bit more of a flaky female lead trope and that is not really my favorite kind of trope. So it probably contributed to me not really warming up to this drama pairing. I think for me I find it a little bit frustrating when any of the leads are a little bit flaky because it kind of makes it hard to watch. You just want to cringe the whole time. But to be fair I also felt really really sorry for the main character because it was clear that she was working in an office where there was a lot of toxic behavior. I didn't like the way her manager and her co-workers were so mean to her and in the end they become friends but I feel like they were really still just using her in many ways which I didn't really warm up to in any part of the drama in terms of the male lead I did really appreciate Rowan's contribution to this drama because it actually kept me entertained and I probably did watch this drama for his character surprisingly in the past I've not actually been as big a Rowan fan as many other people in this drama I felt like, I finally got to see more of his acting range. In the past, I felt he might have been a little bit more stiff as an actor. In this drama, I felt like he actually was holding all the comedic scenes. I felt like he was really good at pulling really weird faces or doing really weird things, and then later on blaming it on the magic. So, it was really funny the way that he pulled those scenes off. And not to be shallow, but they also styled him up really nicely in this drama. So, if he is your favorite actor, I would highly recommend this drama. But moving on from from a romance that I wasn't so keen on to one that I was quite keen on. I am talking about Castaway Diva and I had a lot of fun watching this series. I'm a big fan of Park Hyun Bin. I think she's super talented and she's done so many interesting roles and she's really good at picking projects. I'm also a big fan of Choi Jong-ho. He He just seems like such an easygoing person. Like he laughs a lot and he seems quite like friendly to everyone and so that's why he's on my favorites list. centers around two kids who become friends and find out that both their households are quite abusive. The girl is trying to become a singer because it's her dream to run away from her abusive father and also to meet her favorite singer and she can do this if she wins a competition. One night the abuse gets particularly bad and the boy agrees to help the girl run away from home. Her father discovers her and decides to chase after them. In the end she ends up jumping off the boat and her father follows suit only for him to drown and for her to end up on a deserted island. She's stuck there for a long 15 years until she's discovered by a pair of brothers who end up giving her a place to stay and also want to help her achieve her dreams of becoming a singer. In the meantime, this girl's favorite singer has also fallen from grace and when she finds this out, she's really disappointed but she also decides that she's going to help her idol get back on her feet. I think this drama is interesting because it does ask people to suspend their disbelief a little bit more because I do... You think that it's probably not that easy to survive on a deserted island for 15 years by yourself but I don't think you'd really call this drama a fantasy either I guess it's in many ways a family drama because you come to know the family of the two brothers who rescue her it's in many ways a mystery because at first she's trying to find her childhood friend the one who rescued her from her father and we were asked the question which of the two brothers was the actual friend from her childhood it was also in some ways an idol drama I guess guess because it is about making it to stardom. I'm gonna say I was less interested in the journey of the main character becoming a singer than I was to her finding her childhood friend. I was also more interested in the storylines involving the two brothers and their family and also the storylines to do with the domestic abuse because it was interesting to see how other countries treat domestic abuse. From the drama it sounded like there was still a lot of backward laws like a Woman not being able to change her last name without her husband finding out seems very patriarchal and also very old fashioned. Surely you'd think there'd be some sort of confidentiality that each person could have regardless of being partnered up or not, but it sounds like Korea is very much traditional on this approach. So I think it's really good that Castaway Diva really highlighted these issues in the drama. I liked how it was fairly critical about how the country has handled domestic abuse whether it's just in the past or in the present as well. I also really like the way that the drama embraced the modern family in that it didn't just depict a family as being people who are blood related to each other but instead it showed that someone can be your family member even if they're not blood related to you but they choose to care about you and they choose to look after you. There's a stepfather in the story and he pretty much is way better than than the real father in the drama. And I just thought this was impressive in a Korean drama because in the country, there's still a lot of stigma, I suppose, around divorce and step-parenting. And so it was nice to see a drama really bring that out that it can be a positive experience. If the step-parents choose to really care about the children, it can be a better experience than children who grow up with real parents that don't care about them. Aside from the storyline with the family, I really liked the stories to do with. With the main character when she's stuck on the island because she learned a whole bunch of life lessons in that time. Her stories are a little bit like fables or like little philosophical pearls of wisdom and the reason I say that is because they were short little tales and they often involved things like animals like she talks about being chased by a boar or stealing the eggs of her friend who was a seagull. They also often involved like food or some <laughs> form of eating since I suppose that was her main task on the island and often at the end you find some really important lesson like she talks about how she was really depressed one day and she thought about throwing herself into the ocean and when she did and looked up she saw an ice cooler and inside the ice cooler there happened to be ramen which she had not eaten in a good decade or so and so that taught her that she needed to hang on just a little bit more each day because she never knew what would happen next. And I really like this concept she talked about because it's pretty much the key to being resilient. resilient in life, because we spend a lot of time and energy worrying about things that may or may not happen in the future, and sometimes that makes life really tough and unbearable. But as she said that the way that she survived on the island was just to hang on a little bit longer each day and to find wonder in the things around her. I feel like that's what her lessons were alluding to. She pretty much took baby steps and she found gratitude in things and that's how she made her life better. So I thought it was really nice that the writers tried to impart these little pearls of wisdom to everyone who was watching. But moving on to something a little bit fluffier now, I wanted to talk about Choi jong Hop and Park Hyun-bin's chemistry. I thought they were really cute as a couple in this drama. I do think they were very subtle for a long time in the drama because of course there's the mystery at the start about who the childhood friend Ki-ho is. And of course a lot of other things happen in the drama as well. There's the whole focus of the main character achieving her dreams of meeting her singer and also becoming a singer herself. And so I felt like romance did take the backseat but it was always sort of there like I wouldn't say this was a drama with a lot of romantic tension but at the same time because it wasn't so in your face like some of the other dramas I've mentioned today I also felt like when there was a romantic scene you could actually feel the romantic tension like the kind that makes your heart flutter. little bit. I also thought that these two had really good kissing scenes I have to say and also behind the scenes they were very cute together because I think both of them are quite like playful but also introverted in their own nature and so they were really comfortable in each other's company and it really showed in the way that they acted on screen as well. And at this point I'd like to add that even though there was a love triangle I for once didn't have second lead syndrome but I know a lot of people did and I can understand why. because the second lead who was played by the actor N was such a charming and chatty character that it felt a little bit sad that in the end he didn't get the girl but as he was the brother of the main lead I think it would have been really awkward and so it's nice that he was gracious enough to bow out of that competition and to soothe himself with other things but I know a lot of people who just wanted to clone a copy of So Mokka so that he could be happy with her forever and that is fair enough because I did feel a little bit sorry for him as the second lead. I don't know why I didn't get second lead syndrome, but I think the competition was too strong because I quite like Jong help, as I mentioned before. Soldiering on to the next drama now, I want to talk about Death's Game, which is a drama that I think is only partially out at the moment. At least I've only seen half the episodes, but I believe there's like a second season which continues on from the same storyline. Anyway, this drama is based on a web which I find is the case for a lot more of the stories that have a grittier storyline and this drama is no exception. So in the story a guy sees someone die on his way to a job interview and it really traumatizes him so he actually performs pretty poorly at the job interview and following this he ends up having a really hard time finding a job for the next seven years. He ends up doing a lot of little part-time jobs but he isn't able to get an interview for a company as good as the first one that he was going to go for. Anyway, when he finally does get an interview with that company again, everything goes wrong on that day and at the end of the day he decides to kill himself by jumping off a building. As a result, he dies and ends up meeting Death. Death decides to play a little game with him, allowing him to reincarnate 12 times. If he can survive in any of the lives that he's been reincarnated into, then he will be able to live in that person's body for the rest of their life. However, if the guy fails, he is going to end up in hell being punished. Honestly, I feel like this webtoon has been designed to encourage people not to take their own lives. I don't know if telling people that they'll go to hell is something that would help, but I do think that if any media does allow someone to rethink their actions, then it's a positive media to me. So this drama stars So Gook as the main guy and also stars Park Sodam as Death, and I really like the idea of Death being a female. Park So Dam is also one of the coolest looking girls out there and so I feel like she's been appropriately cast as Death. I also think that just having Death is interesting because normally Koreans really like the concepts of Grim Reapers and this time around they haven't really called her Grim Reaper and so I kind of appreciate that because I feel like this is so much cooler like she's sort of the lord of the underworld. I also like that in this drama they used a very big name cast because because every time the character reincarnates they actually got an established actor to play out the role that he reincarnates to. I wonder if there was a practical purpose for this because I feel like it'd be quite hard to film each of the stories if the actors weren't established because I believe it'd be challenging to keep the flow of the same character. Anyway I'd recommend this drama because it was fun to just see all the different storylines and then to recognize which actors were showing up. So my draw card into this series was that Lee Jae Wook had one of the storylines in here. Another draw card was Lee Do Hoon, who also has a storyline in this drama. Anyway, there were many actors that I was surprised to see in there. I think the first reincarnation is Choi si and I was like, hey, I know who that is. And it was just really fun to see all of them take on so yung character, except in a different body with a different character's physical and historical traits. The funny thing about this drama is, is that I think a lot of the cast from Alchemy of Souls has ended up in this series. In fact, Lee Jae Wook and Yu and Soo ended up in the same storyline, the same reincarnation storyline, and so they got to act together once again. And Ko Yun jung was also in this drama, although a lot of Alchemy of Souls season 2 fans were probably a little bit sad because they weren't in the same storyline. And Ko Yun joon also plays the girlfriend of Seo and Gook. But back to Death's game, I think that It's a really unique drama, I quite like the concept. It is a very violent drama because all of the deaths are very, very painful. In a way, I suppose it's episodic, although I feel like sometimes the reincarnations were very short and sometimes very long, but I guess in this series the main character ends up going through different bodies and different lives and experiencing different deaths. And so I would definitely recommend this drama for a number of reasons, I think it's such an interesting storyline. I also really like the actors in this series. I feel like it's fun to be watching out for a new actor each time and I think this drama has a lot of entertainment value on the whole. I believe this drama only really will have eight episodes in the end because four have been released so I suppose there'll be another four to tie things up. Now speaking of second seasons I think it's time to move on to the segment of second seasons for this year. So I'm going to start off with a second season drama that is quite unrelated to the first season drama and that is strong woman Namsoon technically this drama is a bit like a spin-off of the first series because the characters are completely different and the storyline is completely unique as well in strong woman Namsoon the series focuses on a girl who gets lost in Mongolia but she still ends up finding Korean culture through their small tiny little old-fashioned TV and she decides that she likes Korean culture and begins learning the language as well when she's older she decides to go to Korea to try to look for her family. Meanwhile, in Korea, her family have been looking for her as well because they're pretty convinced that she would survive. This is because in the family there's a gene passed on from generation to generation through the female lineage that ensures that females become very, very extremely superhumanly strong. Because of this privilege, the females in the family are able to look after the family by generating lots of wealth and also by protecting everyone, whereas the males in the family are really weak and need a lot of protection. And so this series was really tongue-in-cheek and took a lot of gender norms and gender assumptions and turn them around. So as I mentioned, the girl Namsoon looks for her family, the family looks for the girl. On her journey to do so, she ends up meeting a policeman who at first is just very suspicious because part of his job is looking for people who may be taking a drug that enhances people's strength. but they soon come to know each other and become friends and develop a really cute little romance. The policeman also ends up working with Namsoon's mom, who is a bit of a badass vigilante heroine who has dedicated her life to doing good things because she believes that that's how karma protected her daughter. Coincidentally, she has also been looking for the gangsters behind the drug ring that is happening in Korea. So for the rest of the drama, the story is focused on Namsoon, her mother and her boyfriend working together to infiltrate the drug ring. So if you've watched the first series Strong Woman Do Bong Soon, you could see that there was quite a difference in the storyline. In that story, the main character Bongsoon gets headhunted to become the bodyguard of a CEO who's a bit quirky. They end up falling in love and so there's a big focus on the romance in that story. There's also a secondary storyline with a very creepy stalker as well. Whereas in Strong Woman Namsoon, there was a stronger family storyline. There was also a police or crime drama going on because of the storyline with the drugs. It was very much comedy as well because I swear you have to suspend so much disbelief for some of the things that happen in this drama, but it's quite comical. And this drama sometimes I guess might not be for everyone because it can get quite silly, but I found the humor to be really funny. Although admittedly at times, I did think the humor could be a little bit old fashioned as well when it wasn't funny. So I didn't really appreciate things like weight jokes or jokes about people looking more masculine or feminine, you know, jokes that maybe poke fun at people's sensitive areas. But with this said, I do think they tried really hard to show that those jokes were inappropriate in other ways. So they would try to redress that in the storyline itself. So at least it seemed like there was a balancing act there. And although it wasn't as central to the story as it was in Strong Woman Do Bong Soon, there is a pretty cute romance in this drama. But I think at the heart of everything, the story is about the main character Nam Soon's superpowers. And so this makes the drama an unusual superhero story. I think more and more people are realizing that superheroes don't have to Wear some sort of weird jumpsuit or be the same way that Marvel styled heroes are, they can just be normal people who have to deal with having an additional power that they can use. So, moving on to talk a little bit about the cast, I thought that Lee Yumi was really good as Namsoon. She was very warm and brought a lot of quirky main character energy. From what I've seen, I think this is the first time that Lee Yumi has played such a cutesy role. In the past, she's played kind of like a cool girl in Squid Game and she's also been the really annoying and selfish character in All of Us Are Dead. I feel like I've always liked the projects that she's taken on and this has been no different. It's been really nice to see her play a very wholesome character. I feel like she had great chemistry with most of the cast. So Ong Seong Woo, who was her love interest, they were pretty cute together, but it's a shame that he was in the military when this aired and so there wasn't much additional like promotional fan service or anything like that. She also had really good chemistry with the villain who was played by Byung Woo Sok, and it was interesting I think it gave a lot of people second lead syndrome with the villain. I did not have second lead syndrome because he was really toxic and I think he was toxic till the end, but I also felt really, really sorry for him because his storyline was pretty much the lonely, misunderstood villain and no one understood him till the end, not even the main character, or at least if she understood him, she never reached out to him, mainly because he'd hurt her family before, and so it was quite sad because I think he actually did genuinely like her but then again you do not drug people that you care about against their will and so I feel like this was always going to be doomed and out of the question. Nevertheless I feel like it was interesting in this story because normally I think they allow villains to try to turn over a new leaf or at least offer the olive branch before the villain rejects it but in this story Namsu never offers him the olive branch and no one else does either. They don't realize how lonely he is as a villain because everyone around him has either betrayed him or tortured him and it's really interesting because they showed this to the audience who of course felt their heartstrings being tugged at even though he was the bad guy I think it didn't help that his storyline started with him being an orphan who was taken by Russian gangsters I also think it doesn't help that there's a scene where Namsoon tells him that he's just a little lost but he was someone who was trying to be a better person or something like that and it really makes him think for a moment but then Namsoon doesn't reach out to ask if he can change, and he never initiates any change that makes him a better person. So the ending for him is what it is. I think one more note as to why people were shipping Nam Soon and the villain together. And I think that's because Aung Seong Woo was in the military at the time this was released. And so I don't think they did many videos or social media things beforehand either. And so actually, whenever I saw any promotions for this series, it would be Lee Yumi with Byung Woo Sok. And so it looked like they were a couple. So I think that contributed to the second lead syndrome that was going around. But personally, I thought the main couple was cute. I thought that Ong siung really grew on me in this drama because I haven't liked his previous works before. To be honest, I actually have to say that he looked like this guy that used to be a very big player back when I was in uni. And so, you know, some of that bias might stem from that. But I also stand by the fact that I think a lot of his previous dramas were not not very riveting at least not to me and so it was not until this series that I started to be like hey I can see why people find him charming. I also want to make a mention of Kim Jong-un who played the mom in this drama. I thought she did a really good job of being such an extra character like very vivacious and in your face and flaunting her wealth but also being very like righteous as well. I have to admit I laughed pretty hard at the story of how she found her wealth like they it made it sound so easy, but maybe it is just as easy for some of the big billionaires in this world when it comes to finding money. And the way she said lines like, I just want to show you how good capitalism is, I just thought that sort of stuff was really hilarious. But what I really liked about this second series of Strong Woman was that there was such a great focus on the family storyline, on the relationship between mothers and daughters, how it can sometimes be complicated, but also at the end, there's this really strong unconditional love, I felt like it was a very feminist story not only because it was about strong women literally, but also because it showed the importance of having a network of women who support each other. And while I think the series does show a lot of male characters who are either villains or who were lazy or a little bit weak and needed a lot of support from the women in this series, I think the series was comical enough to really highlight the importance of women's contributions without creating too many issues around sensitivity. I think. Anyway, if I had to compare the two Strong Women series, I would say that I enjoyed the overall storyline for Strong Woman Namsoon a lot more, but I enjoyed the romance of the first series Strong Woman Do Bong Soon a lot more, and I definitely know I'm not the only one because they had the actors from the first series make a cameo in this series, because of course in the storyline Namsoon happens to be the second cousin of Bong Soon. Although, oddly enough, the cameo is not really between Nam Soon, her herself but it's with Nam Soon's grandmother running into Do Bong Soon at the police station with her husband. Even the cameo was super cute. I feel like Park Bo Young and Park Hyung-sik just have really great chemistry and are really good at portraying their cute and comical characters. There's nothing like seeing Park Hyung-sik trying to get his wife out of trouble. Also Park Bo Young making puppy dog eyes and complaining that she was hungry to her husband was super super cute. And there was also a really funny line about how her husband couldn't actually ever make choices that were against anything she wanted due to the fact that she was the stronger one in the marriage. And of course, they casually ended that scene by saying they had to go home and look after their little girls. And so that was like the perfect cameo. I think it was like everything funny, cute. It continued the story of the characters and showed that the characters' relationships were going strong. But honestly, I think it also showed that Park Bo Young and Park Hyung-sik also had good off-screen chemistry as well. When the internet saw this cameo, everyone lost it because I think everyone just realized how much they missed this couple from Strong Woman Do Bong Soon. But moving on to some final thoughts about Strong Woman Nam Soon. I really enjoyed this series. It's not to be taken too seriously. It is very funny and comic book and silly and I won't say it's completely perfect. There were sometimes too many scenes with the grandma's romance which I wasn't completely interested in whereas there wasn't enough of the main characters romances I think. But in terms of the storyline I actually enjoyed that there was a focus this time around and I hear they're thinking of making a third season or third series, though I'm not completely sure if they would continue on with either of these series or introduce a new strong one from the family. So now I'm going to move on to talk about Soundtrack 2, which is a similar thing. The second season is actually very different to the first season. In fact, it's, I guess, a different series because it focuses on a different couple to the first season and has a unique storyline as well. I actually never watched soundtrack one, which coincidentally also stars Park Hyung Sik. I think it might have been because I wasn't so keen on the pairing and someone had said that they didn't have that much of a chemistry going on, so I didn't really bother. But Soundtrack 2 I picked up because I was interested in seeing Steve and No in another drama. I've only ever seen him in Pachinko, and I quite liked him in Pachinko. I was also interested in seeing Kem Rock in a more leading role as well. I think all three of the actors have only really just been newish actors who have made it into the tier of playing first and second leads recently. The story also looked pretty easy to follow, it was six episodes and about a couple that used to date but then had a bit of breakup. but then they decide to start things over when she is accidentally hired as his piano teacher by his friend. The series felt a little bit like a study on a relationship, it was interesting because you could see that they both had their own issues. The male lead could be quite immature and also quite superficial when it came to money at times, while the female lead had a huge inferiority complex in the story storyline. In terms of the drama, I think it was quite interesting to watch as a character study and a study of a relationship. I thought the pacing of the drama wasn't very good and there were a lot of issues that were sort of brought up but they never really resolve it. For example, the main male lead has a hearing issue. I don't think they ever really tell you that he's getting better or getting worse. Or maybe I missed it but it wasn't that clear. Similarly, the girl is about to open a tabaki shop and she's always complaining about how she doesn't have money. and She's always living in fear. And then all of a sudden she decides something to do with going on a trip. And I just couldn't find the logic in that because she stopped the construction on the Tabaki store. And I'm kind of like, hmm, that's going to cost a lot of money. I think I enjoyed the aspect of being an outsider looking in on someone's relationship. Sounds kind of creepy, but that's what you're doing in this drama and getting an understanding of the different characters. I did feel like they were a little bit frustrating at times though, because it's kind of like you are your own problem. If you could only stop doing this or at least reduce it a little bit you would probably be much happier but I guess that's also true to many of us in real life we probably cause our own problems but because we're not watching ourselves we don't realize this about ourselves the thing I will say about this drama though is that it is quite realistic in its portrayal of a relationship it doesn't just show fluffy moments I think it's realistic in that it showed a lot of like misunderstandings miscommunications expectations that the other person will just automatically understand what you want or need. There were also moments like running into the ex-partner for the first time and also hooking up again and the awkwardness of the morning after that I think people could probably relate to or some people may have experienced. Would I recommend this drama? I think I'm pretty neutral on it. It's probably easy to watch given that it's so short, but it may depend on your mood as to whether or not you want to watch a couple that's going through very complicated relationship drama. So now I'm going to talk about a second season drama where the characters were the same from the second season to the first season, but the second season storyline served as a different arc to the first season. And the first one of these dramas I want to talk about is Taxi Driver 2. I actually had really high hopes for this drama because I really, really loved the first season. And I think it's because this drama had a good balance of everything. It had fantastic storytelling pacing, it had really good acting, the humor was really on point. It was super witty and funny. There was also a really cool and suspenseful revenge plotline going on in the drama. And when I say revenge, I mean revenge. Like every single character had a story where they had suffered some form of real injustice and they were out to get the bad guys. The premise of the story, if you haven't watched season one, is that there is a taxi company that helps victims who have suffered great injustice get revenge on the people or perpetrators that have caused their pain. The main driver at Rainbow Taxi's is a driver called Kim Doki who also carries out a bunch of the revenge plot lines with the help of all the other staff at Rainbow Taxi. In some ways Kim Doki kind of reminds you of a secret agent because he's just always dressing up as a different character and infiltrating a different workplace. But this makes sense because Taxi Driver is a episodic drama so every episode there would be a new victim that they would be helping to get revenge revenge for. Woven into the story was how the staff got revenge on the people that had caused them harm in the past. Also creating suspense in the storyline was a cat and mouse chase with a police officer who was onto them, because of course vigilante revenge is considered illegal. So all these elements made the story really exciting and intense and worth watching. Honestly the first season could have stood alone as a perfect drama, it had a really good ending and everything had been tied up neatly with a bow. but because the drama had performed so well, they decided to make a second season for it. And I remember being a little bit hesitant when I heard about this because I wasn't sure what they were going to do. But the formula of Taxi Driver seemed pretty foolproof, so I figured it'll probably just be more of the same. Also, any excuse to see Lee Jae Hoon is a valid excuse, in my opinion, because Lee Jae Hoon always picks good projects, and of course, he played Kim Do ki with a good balance of being silly and cool. I really, really, really wish. I could say that I liked the second season of Taxi Driver but if I'm being brutally honest I was really really disappointed with the second season and I think there are so many things that could have been done better. I'm not sure why they were done the way they were, it's almost as if they changed like the script writer, the person directing and the producer. I'm not sure. Everything just felt off about the second season. I suspect it's because the storyline for season 1 ended so neatly that they didn't really have anything too continue on in terms of points of tension. All the main characters had carried out their personal revenge and also on top of that they'd learnt about the dark side of teaming up with criminals to ensure justice was served through revenge. They had managed to wipe this slate clean with the police and hide all their activities and so they were limited by these elements. Whatever revenge that Rainbow Taxi's now carried out it had to be less violent and probably a bit more family-friendly. And I'm not saying that everything has to be super violent for it to be good but there needs to be some sort of tension or chase to make the storyline move really quickly and to give it some form of suspense particularly because this is an action series. They did try to fill the void left by the lack of police chase and the lack of personal revenge stories with the introduction of a new character who was supposed to have a plot twist as the villain except it was too obvious early on and because it was so obvious it kind of became draggy because you're waiting from like the first couple of episodes until they finally reveal, yes, this person is the villain. It just affected the pacing of the drama and also made the drama lose its edge and momentum, which was what the first series was known for. I think another issue in season two is that they realized how good the humor was in season one and they tried to overcompensate with what they were missing in season two with more humor. Unfortunately, that threw off the delicate balance they had between being funny and being cool doesn't matter if a character is cool or not. I think in the show it kind of mattered because Kim Doki is someone who's meant to be a bit cutthroat. In order to suspend your disbelief about him being able to perform acts of revenge, he would have to have that sort of like attitude or look or demeanor that is a little bit cool. You know what I mean? Another reason he had to be cool is also because in season one they had already given him that look and so they needed to keep the consistency of the character from season one to two and I feel like they'd been inspired by Ryan Gosling's character in that arthouse action film Drive. In that film Ryan Gosling had a really cool retro look about him and he was also a man of very few words. Someone who nobody knew anything about and he also happened to be a getaway driver for criminals. In season one of Taxi Driver Lee jo hoon had these qualities as well. they had even styled him to look a little bit like the same character as well but similar to shows like Blood God hounds. The show also combined comedy and of course Lee Jae-hoon would dress up as different characters as part of the revenge and then he would act dorky and funny. But it was always this balance between his actual character being a little bit of a unknown hero and then his many fake personas providing comic relief. In season two, however, they seemed to tip the balance more towards the comic relief. It felt like the character of Kim Doki became buried in the personas that he portrayed. The other characters who sometimes used to be tied up more in the idea of revenge, like the CEO of the Rainbow Taxi and the other staff members at the taxi company, they all became involved in more and more comic relief. That in itself wouldn't have been a problem if all the jokes were really, really funny, but I think the problem was they became less thoughtful and they didn't really quite hit the mark all the time as they did in the first series. I guess what I'm trying to say is it felt a little bit more like they were just throwing mud on the wall and seeing which one of them would stick. Sadly enough, not even the most charismatic of Lee Jae-hoon's fake personas in this drama. His portrayal of the Chinese gangster Wang Taozhi, who he uses to woo the Chinese gangster Madam Lim. Not even that portrayal was as good as it was in season one, but to be fair, in season two it was only a cameo, and so it was very brief. But I think the point still stands that all his other personas that he does when he's enacting a revenge plot, none of them are quite as funny as they were in season one. They're just all a bit more silly and slapsticky I guess. Similarly I don't know if the cases were quite as strong as they were in season two as they were in season one and I suspect that's because they were trying to make them all link up to the story with the villain in the second season who as I mentioned before was really obvious and also was not as badass as the villains in season one. So I think that sums up my feelings towards Taxi Driver season two. Did I hate the second season? No I didn't hate it but I was disappointed with a lot of elements. I still found it to be entertaining in its own way because it's still the same taxi driver formula and of course I really really love the characters and what's more I still love the way that Rainbow Taxis gives you hope while you're watching the drama because there's so many unfair things that happen to a lot of people in the world that it would be so nice if there was a taxi service that helped you to get revenge on the bad people who had hurt other people or stolen from them or caused any sort of harm to victims in the world. While I would definitely definitely recommend the first season of Taxi Driver I don't know if I'd definitely recommend the second season but if people were interested in watching it I tell them it's still very palatable just not as satisfying I guess. Now moving on to a drama which also had the same characters in the second season as it did the first season but a different story arc. I want to talk about The Uncanny Counter season two that is. This was also Another big second season in 2023 because the first series was also very, very popular. The Uncanny Counter is a unlikely superhero story. It's about people who used to be in comas that kind of become superheroes because they've been given powers to hunt demons by spirits who live in Jung, which is a place in the afterlife between heaven and hell. The first season mainly focused on the journey of So-moon, a character played by Cho Bong Kyu. The drama followed as he learned how to be a counter and also followed as he dealt with the demon who had destroyed his family. In the second season, So-moon is now a talented counter and they introduce a new counter called Na-jok Bong. The counters also have to deal with three demons who have caused havoc by killing other counters. Because there's a team of four counters in this drama, there are obviously sort of four leads, although Cho Bong-ku's character Seumun is probably the main main character. There's also Ka Tak, played by Yoo Jun Sung. There's also Dohana, played by Kim Sejong, and also Chu Mayok, played by Yom ran In the second season, the new counter is na Bong, and he's played by Yoo in So the first season of the Uncanny Counter will always be the best season in my heart. But you know, I actually didn't mind the second season of Uncanny Counter. I thought it was quite good. And even though it did have flaws, I, for some weird reason, do not feel half as disappointed with it as I did with the second season of Taxi Driver. I think there's a few really strong points which really won me over with the second season of The Uncanny Counter. One of those points is that most of the characters still kept this strong level of consistency from season one to two. And more than that, it was the cast chemistry or the family vibes on screen that really, really made it feel quite the same as the first season. Honestly, I think there was a certain magic in watching them all do their training scenes together and yelling out, you can do it, which seemed to be the mantra for season two. I'm a really big sucker for cast chemistry, both between the actors off screen and between the characters on screen. And so I feel like the charm of the uncanny counter, even in season two, is that the cast still got along so well and the family vibes were still there on screen. Another thing I really approved of was the pacing of the second season. I felt like it was still pretty fast paced and there was a lot of action happening throughout. So I never really felt bored of the Uncanny Counter even in the second season. The third thing I really liked in the second season of the Uncanny Counter happens to be the bad guys. They are super badass and very comic book like and also just really, really evil. Maybe you figured this out when I was talking about Bloodhounds, but I think I just like my villains to be really hard to defeat. And maybe this sounds a little weird as well, but I prefer the villains to be really evil instead of just kind of like lame or cheesy because because I think watching the heroes defeat a really evil bad guy just makes you feel like there's some sort of justice in the world, but also you feel really inspired by their perseverance and their resilience in the face of things going very, very wrong. So yes, I really like the villains in the second season of The Uncanny Counter. I might even like them more than the villain from the first season, which is saying something, because that bad guy was definitely hard to defeat and he was real evil. So you know these bad guys are definitely something. But it might just be because there were a team of villains this time around as opposed to a single villain. And I feel like this season the villains were really inspired by Batman. The main villain who was played by Kang Young, he kind of reminded me of the Penguin from Batman. And then the other male villain reminded me of the Jared Leto version of the Joker. And then the female villain reminded me of Harley Quinn. They were all sort of psychotic and very very unhinged. I had a conversation with a drama friend who said she didn't really like unhinged villains but I kind of do because there is a type of person in the world that just wants to see the world burn as they say in Batman. I feel like there's definitely people who just want to create chaos and there's no logic behind it they're just really really whacked. I also feel like this type of trope is familiar enough for comic book stories because a lot of villains in comics are like this. For me it kind of made sense that they included this type of villain in the second season of The Uncanny Counter. The final thing that really made a positive impact on my experience of the second season of The Uncanny Counter is that I really liked the fact that they explored the question of whether or not a good person could still become evil if they were faced with terrible circumstances. I think oftentimes that people being good or bad is overly simplified in popular culture or in tv shows but actually people are very nuanced creatures and sometimes in a circumstance a good person could make some bad choices or a bad person could make some good choices or there could be degrees of of goodness or badness to everyone's choices. So that's why I like the complicated nature of having someone who was seen as a very good person, a character who was very wholesome, but still ended up being taken over by an evil spirit because they couldn't get over their grief and anger and that transformed them on a different level. Maybe it's just me, but I like it when shows have this deeper layer, aside from just entertainment, where they look at things that are a bit more existential or philosophical as well. So these points that I just mentioned I think really saved the second season of the Uncanny Counter for me at least. But with that said there were still a number of things I wish I could have changed about the second season and if these things hadn't been included in the second season I would say it would have been as good as the first season. Like Taxi Driver in some ways all the characters had had personal traumas in the first season which were resolved and tied up nicely and so in the second season again. Again, I think they tried to overcompensate with a lot of humor, which didn't work out. In fact, in The Uncanny Counter, they introduced a new character who was purely for comic relief, except I felt like he was just too silly, like there was no moment where he wasn't just a normal character. I think every line, every action, even his superpower, they were just all over the top and overbearing. I'm not sure if it was the character or the acting of the role. I will say the role was played by Yoon Su and he has done a lot of like comic roles before. He either always plays a funny guy or a bully whenever I've seen him in a drama. I feel like he would have the comedy down pat so maybe it was just the way that they wanted him to portray the silliness and amp it up. It just got a little bit much at times. Another thing that bothered me was story logic. Some of this I'm not sure if it's because it followed the source material because this drama is based on a webtoon so it could just be that the writer had already written the world to be like this but certain rules of the world did not make sense like for example and this is going to be a bit of a spoiler so if you haven't watched The Uncanny Counter 2 and you want to you should probably skip this little bit right now there's a battle between the counters and the demons on the top story of a really tall building in the second season and someone tries to summon the territory except he's not able to because apparently the territory won't reach up to that level. And I don't know about you, but many a time So Moon has summoned the territory. I swear those beams of light go straight up to the heavens or to Jung as it's called in the series. And so I find it really, really bizarre that it wouldn't reach the top level of a building. Like how tall are buildings? 30 stories, 100 stories. So to me, this sounded like a huge plot hole or it just didn't really make sense. Another thing that bothered me was that that while most of the characters were consistent most of the time, there were also times I felt like their storylines went on weird tangents in the second season. For example, Cho bong Ku's character, Seomun, he's apparently worried about how he can't save his family or friends. So instead of like trying harder, he sort of withdraws into himself and just gives up at some point, which doesn't seem like the character of Seomun. It's meant to be a subconscious thing, but I don't think they really showed it in the story in a way that really made sense to the character's nature. The other thing I didn't like about the second season were forced cheesy storylines. And I can think of two. The first is that they gave a love story to Kim Sojong's character, Do Hana. And again, I haven't read the webtoon, so I don't know if this is actually a legit storyline and they're just following the webtoon. But it felt like in the first season, they were hinting that maybe Hana and Seo Moon might potentially have something going on if there was to be any romantic storylines in the drama. However, between season one and two, Cho Byung-ku was accused of bullying and this turned into a huge scandal for him. He's pretty much being cleared of that charge, but I think it still sort of had an impact on his career and may have changed some potential storylines or projects that he had been working on. This is not fact, but I do think that it may be one of the things that might've changed some of this. Anyway, they introduced a storyline with a boyfriend for Dohana, Kim Sejong's character, and it just felt very very forced. It didn't feel natural at all. Similarly, I didn't like the way that they introduced the story of Wigan's daughter in Germany. Wigan is of course the spirit that is in the heaven of this series. I think they were trying to make the story like more heartwarming, but it just felt really unnatural, especially as they introduced the daughter to be a German girl. And I was just really really confused until they actually said hey this is Wigan's daughter because Wigan of course is played by a Korean actress and so it just felt like there needed to be a lot more context in order for that moment to be really touching or meaningful rather than just confusing. Would I recommend the second season of The Uncanny Counter? I would actually say yes I would but again I would also say the first season is the best and I'd highly recommend that. So now talking about the final second season drama that I watched in in 2023 and that is DP season 2. Again the second season had the same characters as the first season but there was a different story arc in the second season and to provide some context DP stands for Deserter Pursuit. The story centers around two men who are doing their military service in Korea and they're selected to be on the team to chase up or pursue any soldiers who either leave or avoid doing military Service. It's their job to bring them back and complete the full service. The series is very dark in that it highlights all the abuse and toxic masculinity that happens inside the closed doors of the military when people are completing their service. So, as far as I know, DP is based on a web tune and it is episodic in that each episode or couple of episodes is focused on bringing back a person who has run away from the army for a very specific and personal reason. The first season of DP focuses on these two guys becoming a core part of the DP team and bringing back a lot of deserters, only to find out one of their teammates has cracked from the bullying and ends in a shocking conclusion where he takes someone hostage and eventually ends everything in a horrible way. In the second season, both guys are dealing with the aftermath of the incident and being exposed to more incidents like this. This leads them to take a and what they believe in but the problem is how do you stand up to an institution like the military I really liked DP because I think it talked about and explored an area that really needs to be looked at which is toxic masculinity in the army and what it does to people long after they go into the military but I will say that this series is definitely not an easy watch it is very dark and moody and very very ultra violent and when I talk about violence we're talking about all kinds so everything from bullying to borderline sexual abuse and harassment to mass shootings and suicides and situations with hostages so definitely not a very easy watch at all but definitely a worthwhile watch because I do think it's quite a meaningful series I also think it's quite art housey as well and both the main actors are fantastic in it the main character is played by Jung Hae-in who's very good at hiding his emotions and being very stoic and he's a character who seems to deal with many layers of trauma. His fellow DP officer is played by Kyu Kyo Huan who is also a really fantastic actor that often plays very quirky characters and this is no different in DP. I think he's a wonderful choice in DP because he's a good mixture of capness, wittiness and sarcasm. The storyline in season 1 and 2 are both equally dark in my opinion but I think season 2 is less formulaic than season one. I think in season one, they were trying to establish what it means to be a DP officer. So the story was more episodic in that the two main characters would go out, capture deserters, and then come back. And that happened until around the climax of the story. Whereas in season two, I felt like there were more mini story arcs within the season. And I almost felt like season two started with a big incident in itself when they featured the person who was a active shooter in the military. Like Taxi Driver and The Uncanny Counter, I feel like the first season of DP was better in some ways, but I also didn't mind the second season. I think for me, the second season felt a little bit sadder because the story begins with one of them in hospital so traumatized about the incident from the first season that he can't even speak. And in the first season, he was so quirky and tongue in cheek and he always had a way to dodge himself out of trouble. So it was really hard to see him suffer emotionally. And so Jung Hae-in's character was left to be a DP officer by himself. Actually he was paired up with another partner but that person turned out to be really irresponsible and he was just using the position of being a DP officer to have days off from the army and to leave the army base. But because of the continuous build-up of trauma that the two main characters face, Jung Hae-in's character also gets tested to his limits. And so the second season was sad in that both characters continue to suffer in the military. I think it was sad also because they were alone in the ways that they were separated by their own demons that they were fighting on the inside. And I think what's more, the ending of season two was very confusing and sad, again, because of a kind of separation between the two main characters, but also because they introduced one of the bad characters back into the series. I feel like it's a sign there'll be a third season, but as far as I know, it hasn't. Being greenlit yet so it's not 100% confirmed. I have to say K-dramas and Asian dramas in general have traditionally not had second seasons or third seasons so it's really interesting to see a lot of them being stretched out into longer storylines and I feel like it's hard to say whether or not this is a good thing so I think in terms of series like Taxi Driver if it's been wrapped up really well in the first season it's kind of detrimental to the storyline to then add other seasons like they really really have to think about it before they create it but for something like dp with a source material that it could draw on perhaps having a season three would make sense because there might be a lot more of the story that they can stretch out also for something like the strong woman series with strong woman nam soon and strong woman do bong soon i feel like they've been smart in opening the doors for new seasons because by having a storyline where you can have multiple characters that possess the power It allows for an expansion of the world and therefore new series without too much of an issue. But going back to DP2, I would like to say that I would recommend this series. Although season one is of course the best season as usual, I think season two continues to paint a more complete picture of the characters and the bullying and harassment of the military. And so I feel like if you enjoyed season one, you would enjoy season two for DP. So now I'm gonna move on from second season dramas to dramas that were released a long time ago but that I only watched in 2023 and the first one of these is a drama called My Mister and this drama starred the late Lee Sang-kyun who shockingly passed away just last week. He only passed away on the 27th of December so very very recent and unfortunately he took his own life. At the time it happened I think he was under a lot of stress because for the last half a year or so he had been questioned intensely by police and demonized by the media because allegedly he was found with drugs and his defense was that he had been tricked by a bar hostess and then blackmailed for drug use because in Korea it's very very highly punishable if you have drugs on you or are using them and while I don't condone drug use or hanging out with bar hostesses I do think that sometimes the Korean media can be quite harsh and can really tear down celebrities when they're caught in a scandal like this. I also think Korean netizens can be quite harsh as well because life is tough over there and I think sometimes when celebrities are caught doing things that seem scandalous the public just feel an urge to take out their anger on these privileged people doing the wrong thing. But the whole thing is just so sad because I feel like as with most scandals this would have blown over and I wish he had thought about that because he leaves behind a family with two children as well so it's pretty heartbreaking and again while I don't condone the use of drugs or potential cheating I do think that we don't really know the lives of other people so sometimes it can be really hard to understand why things happen or whether or not we're hearing the truth and so it's just really sad that someone had to lose their life over something like this. I also think it's a big loss to the industry because if you don't know who Lee Sun Kyon is, then I'm not sure what you've been watching because he is the rich dad in Parasite and he's also the second lead in Coffee Prince. So I feel like you would have come across him at some point. He was also really famous for My Mister, which is the drama that I'm about to talk about that I watched in 2023. And this drama is also famous because IU is his co-star. And so it was a drama with real big names. It also had this raw slice of life healing and melodramatic storyline. And so it's quite beautiful. It's quite sad. It's quite realistic at times, but also very arthousey at other times. It was a drama that a lot of people loved. And even watching it in 2023, I think it held up really, really well. I actually did really enjoy watching the drama. And this is one of the few dramas that I would actually call a healing drama because a process of healing happens between two people. In summary, the story is about a girl who is a young office worker she's impoverished from having a huge debt from looking after her death and very elderly grandmother and so she's trapped in a life where she's working multiple menial jobs and she's trying to make ends meet while repaying a very impossibly high loan to a loan shark who really hates her in one of her jobs she meets a supervisor who is equally unhappy in his life he's a middle manager who hasn't been promoted for a long time time and his wife is having an affair with his boss who happens to be a guy who was his junior at uni and they really disliked each other from a long time ago. Due to her desperation to get a big sum of money to pay off her debt, she offers to spy on this middle manager and potentially get him fired but the more she comes to know about his personal life, the more she comes to like him as a person, especially when their paths actually come to cross and he treats her with the respect and kindness that no one else has ever given her before. And the true form of bond that eventually heals both of them from the inside out. I have to admit, the first time I saw this drama, I thought it was a drama about an affair between a young woman and a middle-aged man. And it probably didn't help that the people who recommended it to me were just these older men. And so my first thoughts were, I can't believe that this is a drama that is so well received. But as I started to watch the drama, I understood why people liked it. It's beautiful and nuanced and mature. It's also depressing and bittersweet at times, but I think it shows all the different flavors of life. The story is not just about these two characters. In fact, it's about the relationships that we have with our families, with our siblings, with our friends, how sometimes loneliness is not just being alone, but it's having a lack of people who understand you. And I think it shows the magic of what happens when you find someone who truly understands how you're feeling on the inside. I think this story also explores a number of really existential and intellectual topics like the weight of expectations in our relationships, the misery of trying to but also failing to control the things in our lives and also the self-destructive nature that we all have which actually gets in our own way of finding peace in our lives and happiness in our relationships as well. So all these things do help to make up a really beautiful story but I do want to talk about the two main characters because even though it's not just about them they do have a very beautiful and unique relationship. It's like they share a very deep love but one that isn't necessarily romantic although it feels a little bit like they're soulmates in some ways as well because their understanding transcends anything that's physical or anything that is spoken. They never cross any boundaries especially because one one is married and the other is much younger, but the love and care for each other is there because if anything was to happen to the other one, they would immediately be there to help. I feel like some people look at this kind of story with a deep kind of skepticism like, where would there be a boss that was this nice and not taking advantage of his employee? And I don't know, maybe I'm just one of the lucky ones, but watching this really reminded me of my boss, and I feel that he's probably of the same make, like the same sort of gentle soul who is really generous and has really helped me a lot during the time that I've worked for him and so I found it really relatable in certain ways. Thankfully though I think we are more cheery than the characters in this story but I just wanted to say I have been converted since I watched this drama and it's really high on my recommendation list for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. If you like a thoughtful meaningful and slow burn drama with really good dialogue I highly recommend My Mister. So I promise I'm almost at the the end of my list, but I do have one more drama that was made a while ago that I only watched in 2023, and that is Where Stars Land. This drama was predominantly a sci-fi romance with a bit of office drama, and it starred Lee Jae-hoon and Choi Soo-bin, and they play lovers who meet whilst working at the airport together. So the story centers around a female lead who is very ditzy and not very good at her job, but she really loves working at the airport. She gets transferred into a team where she meets someone who she met on the day that she was going to the job interview. This guy has a big secret in that he's pretty much a cyborg. He's part machine because of something that happened in his past. And while Choi Soo Bin's character really wants to stand out, Lee Jae Hoon's character really wants to blend in with the crowd and not have anyone notice his secret. But unfortunately, the more he gets to know the female Lee, the more he starts to stand out. So the story follows how he can keep his secret whilst working at the airport. I have to say this is another drama where I was put off for a fairly shallow reason which was that I had heard reviews saying that Chae Soo Bin's character was really annoying in this and that's why I didn't watch it for so long. But I regret this because her character is only a little bit mildly annoying in the first couple of episodes and so I feel the people who dropped this drama for that reason totally missed out on seeing her grow and evolve as a character and I think it's unfair because they only ever really say Chae Soo Bin's character is annoying but there were a few moments that Lee Jae Hoon's character also was slightly annoying because he's so stubborn about a certain decision later on. But overall I really like both actors and I like their characters in this drama. Their characters made for a really cute couple together and aside from that I thought the storyline was exciting enough with really fast pacing as well as a slight air of mystery as well. And maybe that's just me but I was also interested in seeing what the airport was like as a workplace. Also, the second lead in this drama happens to be Rowan, who is the female lead's, like, really good friend. And in this drama, he has such a high-pitched voice. It's so strange. But I think this is one of his earlier works, so obviously he was younger and maybe a bit more nervous as an actor. I'm not quite sure. I found this drama to be an enjoyable watch, even in 2023. And to be honest, i just recommend it so that it would balance out all the negative of reviews about an annoying character because to be honest she's not that annoying once you get past episode two. There are two more Korean dramas which I did semi-watch this year and then I want to talk about one Taiwanese drama and I will tie up this episode. So the drama that I sort of got halfway through on and then put a indefinite pause on was Heavenly Idol and this series was truly bizarre but also it was based on a webtoon so I guess that makes sense as to why it was so weird. It is also a Fantasy romance so I guess this is like a new style of webtoon fantasy. Basically there's another supernatural world and in that world there are these like kind of religious leaders called Pontifex. Maybe they're not religious, maybe they're just leaders but they kind of do remind me of religious leaders. I think it's because they're so pure and good. In the story the main pontifax is fighting with the evil one and somehow gets transported into our world. Not only does he end up in our world, he ends up swapping bodies and becoming a K-pop star in this world. And so the story is ridiculous. Obviously, the male lead is really confused and he has to find a way to get back home to defeat the evil one in his planet. But he also has to live out his life as a K-pop star in our world where he discovers that the evil one is also trying to take over. And of course, there's romance because there is a fangirl who really, really loves the idol, who's body that he has swapped with. She thinks that he's lost the plot at first but then she comes to believe in what he says and she starts to help him out which is how they develop a romance. This drama was super silly and I think part of it was because the costumes were so extra for all of the male leads different characters. I also felt like the story read a little bit more like an anime or like a Wattpad fan fiction and so I think this is why it ended up being a drama that I've paused or Although one day I may put it on in the background as I do something else. And so you're probably wondering, why did you pick this up if you thought it was so silly? And of course it was an actor that got me. So <laughs> the main lead is Kim min And I really liked him in Business Proposal. He was the second lead in that. I thought he was very adorable in that drama. And so of course, when they gave him the main lead in this drama, I was curious and wanted to see if it would be any good. Admittedly, I feel like he could have picked up a better drama because he got so much fame off the back of Business Proposal but perhaps this drama was doing something a little bit different from his previous work and getting into a lot of costumes so maybe it was really fun to shoot. His co-star in this drama was Kobo Kyol. I've never seen her in a drama before but I think she must be someone who's new and up and coming and I don't even know if I watched up to the part where the romance really started developing so I don't know if I could recommend this drama. To anyone, but I think it's safe to say that if you like idle dramas and fluffy romances, this might be for you, and if you don't, then you might want to avoid this one. Finally, the last Korean drama that I watched in 2023 was Moving, and so this is a drama that I'm still currently finishing off. I think I picked it up pretty late in the game, and then there were a lot of interesting things coming out that were airing live, and so I never got the chance to quite finish this off it's also a very long Disney plus drama I believe it's like 20 episodes and that's unusual for a Korean drama and so I'm still watching it now but I think I'm really starting to get into it from episode 7 onwards I think at first it was a little bit confusing as well because there's all these characters being killed off but you're not sure why and so I feel like it was lacking a lot of context which didn't quite pull me in but from episode 7 I think the story starts to come together in a really nice way. The story is focused on a group of people who have superpowers who not only have to hide their powers from the world but also have to hide the powers of their children who have also inherited special abilities. The main characters are a teenage boy who has the ability to float particularly when he is overcome with joy and his best friend and crush a girl who seems to have extreme strength especially when it comes to fighting. Although they're aware of their own powers and potentially each other's powers, they're unaware that their parents also have special powers, and because of this they are being hunted down by politically hired assassins. Because I'm not that many episodes in, I think there's a lot to reveal yet for this drama. I suspect the people with powers have them because of some sort of government program that has happened. I'm pretty intrigued about the whole thing, but I think overall so far it's been a pretty good series. The story has fast pacing and is pretty engaging on the whole. I like the contrast between scenes that are like wholesome with the two school kids enjoying school, practicing for their exams, flirting with each other. And then there's these scenes where there's an assassin going around killing all the people with superpowers in pretty bloody and gruesome ways. I think it's a combination of like all the body parts flying around but also like the sound effects. Like human. Runs over someone multiple times, and you hear everything. So even though the series can be fairly lighthearted and cute, it can also be very, very violent and a little bit scary. So again, not for the faint-hearted. But if you are one who can stomach the violence, I'd highly recommend this show because I think it's interesting. I like that this is a different take on the superhero because this is like superhero parents and their relationship with their kids, which is kind of unique. Because I think in a lot of series it's like the relationship between their love interests or between a villain who they have this long standing grudge with but what happens if they have kids and the kids have superpowers? I think this show kind of answers some of those things. I also like the tension between all the kids at the school because it seems like the school is exploring the powers of all these children who seem to have inherited things from their parents and some of the kids seem to have a lightness with their power they have really good personalities and others seem to have a deep-seated love for anger or are quick to violence and so it'll be interesting to see how all the powers play out once they've been exposed. I also thought it was interesting that the villain starting out was a Korean-American or a Korean that had been adopted to be raised in America but in really tragic circumstances. Like he appears so scary until you find out his backstory and then you feel really sorry for him as as well. It's interesting because in moving, the younger actors are lesser known. They're sort of like the up-and-coming generation of actors. Whereas the parents are really well-known actors who have been around in the industry for a while. It stars Ru Seung-Rung, who you might know as the evil emperor in Kingdom. But in moving, he's the father of the main female lead, who happens to be played by Ko Yun-Jung. And as we talked about before, this was one of her big projects for this year along with Death's Game and Alchemy of Souls 2. Although I suppose that was really a 2022 project which really ended in 23. Anyway, her character is really good friends with a character called Bong Sok and he's played by an actor called Lee Jung Ha who is a fairly new actor from what I can see. However, the mother of this character in the series is played by Han Hyo Joo who you might know from the series Happiness which was really, really good. And she starred opposite parts. Kyung-sik in that series but she looks quite different here because she's playing like a single mom and she pretty much has glasses on the whole time. It's so interesting because it took me so long to recognize that it was her. Anyway I'm yet to see how this series ends but I would recommend it based on what I've seen so far. It did take me a few episodes to get into this drama but I think it was a little bit more of a personal thing as opposed to the drama was not interesting or anything like that. So finally, we've gotten to the last drama I want to talk about, and it's actually the only Taiwanese drama that I saw this year, which is a little bit sad because normally I love getting into Taiwanese dramas, but I think this year I've been pretty busy, I've watched a lot of Korean dramas, and to be fair, I started the year really strong because I was obsessed with the Someday or One Day movie, which I know I haven't talked about, but I'm going to leave that for a special episode all by itself, but getting back to To the only Taiwanese drama that I watched this year. It was actually an anthology and it was called At The Moment. So each episode had a different storyline with different characters, but they were all interlinked. For example, the first episode was about a love story that developed between two contestants on a reality dating show, except that in the show they hadn't been paired together. And so they had to kind of keep their developing feelings under wraps so the episodes after this had nothing to do with these two specific characters but would focus on some other characters and later on you would see these two actors make cameos either as like the housemates or the best friends or the sisters and so the characters were all interlinked in each other's lives in some way whereas the stories of each episode were different because they focused on the love lives of different characters in each episode This is admittedly not the first Taiwanese anthology that I have ever seen. There was one a while back called Rock Records in Love, and that one was really good as well because each episode was based on an old Taiwanese rock song. And I have to say, the thing I like about these types of series is because they end up having a huge range of Taiwanese actors participating and acting together in different sort of pairings. So a lot of big names popped up in at the moment including Ruby Lin, Puff Coat, Austin Lin, Lulu so these are all really big names across different generations of Taiwanese acting and it was really nice to see them work together because Taiwanese actors just have really amazing on-screen and off-screen chemistry. It was also really good to get to know the new actors because I have to say without watching a lot of dramas lately I've become a little bit out of touch with the newer actors. For example I had never seen an actor called Beren Tzu. I definitely discovered a lot of new actors from this series. I also liked how current the series was because it was set during the pandemic and so it talked about experiences that we all had in recent times. While the series was a romance series I would say it is romance in a more realistic sense in that even though some of the stories were a little bit far-fetched the ideas about relationships were not. There's an episode about a couple who break up because the female feels stifled by the male who is very controlling and neat while she's very spontaneous and of course a little bit messy and so I felt like sentiments like that were pretty realistic but then the stories themselves were a little bit far-fetched in that there were probably events that would be something that you'd find in a book so for example there's a couple who get together after they discover that their partners have been cheating on them with each other's partner and then there's another story about a YouTube who falls in love with a man that she at first is very annoyed with because he tells her off for not giving her seat to a elderly person so she pretends to be blind to get back at him but then he thinks that she's blind so he feels bad for what he's done and he tries to help her get to her destination not knowing that she's actually not blind and as a result they become friends and they start to fall in love but she lives with this terrible guilt that she's lying to him and so this is a very bold and the beautiful type scenario it's very extreme and you know unlikely to happen to your average person but But I think that's what makes this series such a good watch. It's like a mix between really extreme stories and very real relationship sentiments. There are also a few episodes that are a little bit smutty so if that's not your thing then you've been warned. (laughs) Overall I thought the acting was pretty good. It was a great cast. The storylines are interesting. I don't think every single episode was the best thing that I'd seen but it was pretty good for a overarching story and it covered a lot of different types of relationships, and it was quite diverse because it covered like same-sex relationships, relationships with people of different ages and different ability levels. And I just thought it was really interesting in that regard. While it's not my favorite series or anything like that, I do think it's really interesting and refreshing to watch. So I would definitely recommend this. It's also pretty easy to access because I'm pretty sure I watched this on Netflix. And on that note, I think i finished my year in review for 2023. I'm pretty sure I talked about 23 dramas that I watched in 23, which works out pretty well. If you've somehow made it through the whole episode, thank you so much for listening. I'm hoping in 2024, I am more consistent and able to do more episodes so that my year in review next year will be much shorter. I'm also hoping to watch more Taiwanese dramas in the next year, but I think it depends on how well I split my time and also what sort of things come out. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for your support. If you've listened to any of my shows or left a review, or anything like that if you ever want to chat to me about dramas you can find me on a forum called Janghaven I will always respond if you at me I'm also on Twitter and Instagram as these dramatic days as well anyway I'm going to end this episode now but I hope you enjoyed listening to all the opinions thoughts and random facts that I had for you about each of these dramas and I'll see you in the next episode bye